joy to be with you on this holiday weekend in the United States. I realize we have a number of people from from other countries, and as we celebrate our Independence Day, Monday, we would ask your prayers for America. I would like to just speak for a few moments on the vital subject connected to the purpose of this Zoom prayer meeting, and that is uh, success in winning souls and the connection in particular to holiness of life, holiness of life and success in the winning of souls. I was struck several years ago by one verse in Malachi chapter two, but I'll read the extended passage if you care to uh, to look on in your device or hard copy of the word of God. Malachi uh, chapter two, and I'll begin in verse four. And ye shall know that I have sent this commandment unto you, that my covenant might be with Levi, saith the Lord of hosts. My covenant was with him of life and peace, and I gave them to him for the fear wherewith he feared me and was afraid before my name. The law of truth was in his mouth, and iniquity was not found in his lips. And here's the key phrase. He walked with me in peace and equity, and did turn many away from iniquity. For the priest's lips should keep knowledge, and they should seek the law at his mouth, for he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. He walked with me in peace and equity, and did turn many away from iniquity. God has forged an inseparable link between holiness of life and success in turning people away from sin, turning them to Christ. That's what that text makes abundantly clear. There's a definite connection in scripture in other places to this end. It was said of Barnabas in Acts 11, verse 24, for he was a a good man. I thank God for the Barnabases that he's put in my life, not the leader compared to the apostle Paul, but oh, how crucial they are. He was a good man. And the very next phrase, and much people were added unto the Lord. Do you think there's a connection there? I think so. We see that connection even with what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 4 and verse 19 to his disciples. Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Certainly that verse implies, among other things, if we're not being instrumental in fishing for men, something is defective about our following Jesus. It can be expressed in many different ways. I heard one man say it this way, our priestly power with God depends upon our personal walk with God. Our priestly power with God depends upon our personal walk with God. So often uh, in, in churches that are intent on seeing people saved, Uh, we tend to focus on using the right technique. You know, if we just have the right approach, uh, the right plan, the right apologetics, the right verses, the right logic, the right argument. While it is important to be skillful in the word of righteousness, I want to remind us all today that our power in drawing men to Christ springs chiefly from the nearness of our personal communion with him. So let's not look further afield. What does this entail? 
this walking with God? Well, as we see from this passage, there are certain essentials of a holy walk. Levi is the tribe mentioned here in particular. The Levites were what we would call the full-time servants of the Old Testament. They had no inheritance among the 12 tribes. Jehovah himself was their inheritance, and they had the privilege of being God's channel to the rest of the nation. But theirs was a distinct separation unto God. They had to be faithful. And regardless of your ecclesiology and what you may think of the covenants, and I'm sure different points of view are represented on this call, surely we in the church of the New Testament, we are addressed by Peter in 1 Peter 2 verse 9, when he said, ye are a chosen generation a royal priesthood, and holy nation, a peculiar, that's the wording of the King James, a peculiar people, your translation may say a special people, a purchased people. And why is that? That we should show forth the praises of him who hath called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. We are special people. We cannot do what otherwise we might do. We must never forget whose we are, and whom we serve. We must be faithful if we would have true success in turning others to righteousness. But there must be the fear of God that marks us. It says here in the latter part of verse 5, and I gave them, that is life and power and peace, life and peace to him, to Levi, for the fear wherewith he feared me and was afraid before my name. Levi had a reverential awe of God. He taught it to his sons. He taught it to his posterity. One of Aaron's grandsons, Phineas, was so full of the fear of God that he took a javelin and went into the tent of a brother Israelite who was immoral with a Midianitish woman in the sin of the aftermath of Balaam's treachery. And he thrust both of them through with that one spear. That was difficult. That was extreme. That was severe. That was doing the hard thing. But by doing the hard thing, he turned away the wrath of God from Israel. 24,000 had already died in the plague. And God commended Phineas and said in Numbers 25, verse 12, behold, I give unto him my covenant of life and peace. Well, all of us who are saved, we've been made kings and priests unto God. And sometimes God's priests have to rise up and judge sin. That is never pleasant. We always run the risk of being misunderstood. People that may not know any other verse in the Bible, they know that verse in Matthew 7, judge not that ye be not judged, and they'll use it conveniently at us. But the fear of the Lord will cause us first to depart from iniquity, and then out of love for our brothers and sisters, we will warn them. We're saying, in effect, don't hurt yourself. Don't bring the judgment of God upon you. And I want to remind you, that's the most loving thing we could do at the time. The fear of God will impel us to do that. There must be harmony with God. It is said here of Levi, he walked with me, such a walk implies 
a spirit of cooperation and sympathy, unity with God. The uh, rhetorical question of Amos 3, verse 3, comes to our minds. Can two walk together except they be agreed? The obvious answer, no. To walk with God. What a commonplace expression. We hear it so often. But yet how rare it is. Do we really believe that the greatest hindrance to the conversion of men and women around us is not their hardness of heart, but our lack of holiness? There are some essentials to a holy walk that we see illustrated in, in this passage in Levi. But I want you to focus for the couple minutes we have remaining on the effect of a holy walk. When he walked with me in peace and equity, the promiser the effect was he did turn many away from iniquity. To be instrumental in getting people to forsake sin and to embrace righteousness, and to embrace righteousness, they have to embrace the one who has made unto us righteousness, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. I ask you, can anything compare to that? Just the impact of one holy life in turning one other person away from sin. I wouldn't trade places with anybody in the universe for that power. Just yesterday, a man called me and he said, can you meet with me? This man had sunk in the depths of sin. He'd come to our church for a time, but he, no life-changing decision was made. But yesterday I saw a man who'd come to the end of himself. He was a true prodigal son. And with tears, he turned to the Lord and he said, I've made a mess of my life, oh God change me. I give myself to you. There's nothing else I would have rather have done yesterday than be a witness to that. Amen. Nothing. Nobody else I'd rather trade places with. Oh, how God loves to use pardoned sinners to win over other sinners to himself. I like what Spurgeon said. <laughs> he said, reclaimed poachers make the best gamekeepers. Reclaimed poachers make the best gamekeepers. Could I paraphrase that? Pardoned sinners make the best evangelists. Let's never forget the rock from whence we were hewn and the hole of the sides of the pit from whence we were dig. Oh, how irresistible and irrefutable is a holy Christ-like life. And I'll close with this illustration. One of my heroes as far as missionaries is concerned, I was a missionary for a number of years before I became a pastor here in the States. So I love reading missionary biographies, and I love reading about the apostle of prayer known as Praying Hyde, John Praying Hyde, who went to India in 1892 and labored for 20 years, burned out for Christ there, never married, gave himself singularly to a life of prayer and holiness. For several years, he labored in the Punjab of India, close to the what is now the Pakistani border, I believe. A local official in that region was troubled because of Hyde's influence over men in his village. So many had been converted under his preaching. And so he sent a man to spy on John Hyde. This man pretended to be an inquirer, but really he was a whistleblower. He wanted to break the spell that John Hyde held over men. Hyde, unsuspecting, received the man kindly, invited him to stay with him, which was just what this man and his agents wanted. But after four days, this man ran away and went back to the men who'd sent him saying, 
He has no fault. The man has no fault. He's a God and not man. Such was the verdict of one who observed John praying Hyde 24-7 for four days. May I remind us all, we are epistles known and read of all men. We live in a glass house. Wonder what people would say of us if they observed us 24-7. You can put it down. Our influence is not harmlessly obscure and neutral. Right now, every single one of us on this call are either repelling or attracting souls. We are either stepping stones or stumbling blocks. Do we desire above everything else to be instrumental in turning many away from iniquity? And if so, then let's see to it that we also maintain a holy walk with God. Thank you.